we will divert from the series that we have been having in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but for now, we continue uh, to go through the Sermon on the Mount. And although the passage has just been read, uh, nothing deficient in Charmaine's reading at all, uh, I want to invite you to uh, pull out the center part of your bulletin, coming between pages 6 and 7, and you'll find a handout called God or Money, Not Both. God or money, not both. And that is an apropos title for the sermon this afternoon. Um, as you know, in a way, I'm new at this job with Christ the King, and so my own um, comfort level and sense of what is best for us as a congregation as I preach is evolving. And so, um, uh, once again this week, I have, um, as I've been doing my research, I have come up with a translation that reflects some of the preferences that um, um, I have come to uh, in terms of weighing the options. And what I'd like to do in the next uh, 10 minutes or so is actually go through the passage and explain what's on the sheet. And then uh, for the remaining time, I will offer a reflection on the passage um, as um, it has been uh, translated and explained. And as usual, I try to find a quote uh, from a commentator that seems to summarize the message of this particular passage well. And this week it comes from two commentators named Davies and Allison. And they say, and I think you could actually cut out the, uh, what's in brackets economically, the firm decision to serve God fills one with light and assures everlasting treasure. While the choice in favor of mammon an old-fashioned word for money, creates darkness and leads only to the vain grasping of treasures that will certainly perish. And as I read the passage again and you follow along, see if that is not an apt summary of the passage. So once again, Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. And there are uh, footnotes that you might want to take up um, in your uh, small groups later in the week uh, to aid in your understanding. Don't store up treasures for yourselves on the earth where moth and decay can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor decay destroy, and where thieves neither break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is whole, your whole body will be illumined. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be dark. If then the light that is in you is dark, how great is the darkness. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Once again, that old-fashioned word for money. Well, let's look at each in turn, and I want to just offer some explication 
uh, prior to kind of more of a traditional sort of sermon. Don't store up is in the present. This has to do with kind of an ongoing factor, an ongoing thing. And there's some debate about whether um, the word decay means worm or rust, but this is one of the things you don't want to dwell on because um, it really doesn't matter. There are all kinds of things that eat away at your material things, right? It can be uh, a war, it can be inflation, um, it can be uh, thievery. Jesus' point here is that material things have a way of um, decaying. And probably the kind of thing that's in mind here were actually clothes. Uh, in the ancient um, Middle Eastern world, uh, wealthy people uh, and others like to collect fancy clothing. And I'm sure each of us has had the experience of buying a favorite sweater. Maybe it's one you got in a store in Scotland or one that you inherited from somebody or you, you spent a lot of money on that extra nice kind of wool skirt or suit and you go to the closet a few weeks later and some moth has eaten a hole in the collar. And there it is, it's gone. So if uh, moth and decay don't destroy, uh, and you've got something like this, which um, Constantine was kind enough to polish, it's not gonna get rotted away, uh, but thieves can break in and steal. So the point is, is that the material things that we love to accumulate and stockpile have a way of disappearing on us. And this is actually a command. Jesus says to followers of Christ, do not store up for yourselves possessions on the earth. But instead, it's not that storing up treasure isn't good. Jesus says, but store up treasures for yourselves in heaven, where neither moth nor decay destroy, and where thieves neither break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Uh, what your passion is, is close to what your treasure is. Uh, what gets you going? What excites you? Uh, what is your focus? Chances are, where your focus is, there is your heart. So it's kind of a warning. Then comes a second statement that is designed to underscore the same kind of thing. Jesus is talking about choosing between God or money, not both. But this one is a little bit more difficult to understand. And in order to understand it, I have um, given an explanation that's actually on the back part of the page, where it says clarification. First thing we need to know is that the eye was uh, thought to be a window. And um, there's a debate about, uh, in the ancient world, whether um, light came from outside into your body or whether somehow light came from within your body to the outside. And I think that Jesus' assumption here, for the sake of argument, is that um, he's picturing light coming from inside your body. So it's as though your body is kind of a flashlight and your eyes are the bulbs. And you use a flashlight to find direction in life, don't you? Uh, to know where you're going. And Jesus uses a contrast between two kinds of eyes. Uh, and he says that one is bad and another is good. And the question is, uh, what does the good refer to? What the ESV translated is healthy. And what does the evil refer to? And there are two options, and they're about equally uh, worthy. Uh, one is that the good uh, is, a, is an expression for generosity. 
Um, if you have a clear eye or a whole eye, um, the idea is that you're generous. And this ties back to whether you're hoarding treasures or not. So Jesus might be saying, in effect, that um, to have a clean eye and to be able to see properly and to be able to get a proper perspective on the world, you need to be generous. In other words, you need to be in control of your possessions and not them having control of you. You need to be open enough to give them away. So um, possessions get in the way of sight. And if you're generous in spirit, that's a sign that you're not storing up treasures on earth. I mean, who gives away uh, the crown jewels, right? Uh, you got them stored away and you're wanting to keep them. Um, but if you're not treating your earthly possessions as the crown jewels, then you're prepared to give them away. And conversely then, the bad eye that's referred to in verse 23 uh, would refer to uh, being stingy, being Scrooge-like. And we know that because if you look at the way in which um, this Greek word is used in the Old Testament, it's often used for people who are stingy, who are inclined to be hoarders. And so the contrast is between generous and stingy, between uh, treasuring your earthly possessions or not, in which case you're treasuring heavenly possessions. And this is critical because Jesus is saying that um, uh, if you're stingy, um, possessions have such a hold on you that you can't see properly. And your whole kind of perspective on life is just eroded away. Uh, you're kind of blind, in a sense. And if you think of the way in which we exist in our culture, gosh, that is really prevalent. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I listen to a particular radio station where there's kind of a war going on between jewelers. And you've got Spence's jewelers, and then you've got uh, uh, some other jeweler. And they're all trying to get you to pay attention to jewels. And there's actually one that says, do you have SDS? Shrinking diamond syndrome. Oh my goodness, I have shrinking diamond syndrome. My diamond doesn't look as big as it used to. So I need to go to Spence's Diamond and they'll give you a deal on a cash-in for a bigger one. This is actually on the radio as if it's supposed to be kind of a big deal. But this inundates us all the time, doesn't it? And in our culture, uh, Jesus' words here could not be more apt. It's occurring to me that as I'm explaining this passage, I'm also preaching. So those two separate parts might end up becoming one at the end after all. At any rate, stay with me as we go through the text and uh, forge your way ahead as I forge my way ahead into a comfortable uh, zone for uh, preaching. So that's one option for the contrast in verses 22 and 24 between good and bad. Generous is good. Stingy is bad, and it's a commentary on the previous statement about treasuring your wealth. But the word whole could also mean singular. And if you look at, um, well, you don't need to look down at the footnote, but it, it literally means singular. And so the other meaning for whole could be singularly devoted to God. And evil or bad is singularly devoted to money. So in effect, the point is really the same in this context. Um, if possessions and uh, other things, things other than God are distracting you, you can't see properly. But if your focus is solely upon God and you have a loose hand on your possessions, 
then you see clearly enough to be able to make good judgments in life. Uh, so this is all about spiritual blindness versus spiritual sight, and it has everything to do with money. It's helpful to remember that money isn't the problem. It's um, liking money. As it says in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 6, verse 1, the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's as though money has these kind of tentacles uh, that want to latch on to us. And Jesus is saying, uh, don't let those tentacles um, stick to you. Because if they do, uh, it's like them sticking something onto your eye. You, you won't be able to see properly. You'll actually go to Spence's Diamond and trade in because you think you have SDS, which is a problem, shrinking diamond syndrome. Um, I mean, um, well, you know, it's easy to laugh at. Give me a break. But we do that, don't we? And as we think about it, our, our money is eroding away thanks to inflation by about 5% a year. This week I was watching... Um, um, some um, news stations about the Ukraine, which I'm sure all of you were, and there was an Al Jazeera documentary where they interviewed um, someone who was an expert on sanctions. Um, and his name was David Asher, and he's from the Hudson Institute in Washington. And he's called Mr. Sanctions. And the question is, do sanctions work? And he said, well, by themselves they don't, but you sort of have to target people. And you have to uh, do what we're doing with the oligarchs in Russia. You have to make it hurt and make them want to um, stop doing what they're doing. And he said that in uh, the middle of um, this decade, uh, when ISIL was dominating Syria, um, the, the, uh, the head person in ISIL um, uh, was a guy named Abu al-Baghdadi. And he was... Um, ruling sway, wanting to make ISIL an Islamic state. And Ashton said, you know what we did? We bombed his bank in Mosul, the second biggest city in Iran. And we blew up more than one billion of his dollars. Single bomb, boom, he's a billion dollars poorer. And then he said, we got on the radio and talked to him. He was not a happy camper. He was screaming, he was yelling, because in an instant, <laughs> I mean, one bomb took out a billion dollars of his uh, income. The stuff we treasure, it's not a matter of when it's going to disappear. Or it's not a matter of if it's going to disappear. It's a matter of when it's going to disappear, right? So, store up your treasures in heaven. Then we look at the, um, let me just see that I'm on track here. Um, so yeah, we've got two options for the meaning of good and bad, but they both underscore the fact that we can't have it both ways. We come to the third option of two masters. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Flip the page over and you'll notice that there is a problem. And I hope that when you hear sermons, when you explore your Christian faith, you keep your mind active and you say to yourself, hmm, is that really true? Because um, God wants us to love him with our mind as well as our heart and our soul. The problem seems to be this. And I'm with uh, issue number C on the flip side of page one. Does it have to be either or? I mean, you can serve two people. Uh, some of you got more than one job, and you do both of those jobs pretty well, don't you? One can serve two masters. 
So what could Jesus be meaning here? He says that you either serve one uh, or the other, but you can't really do justice to both. And I've noted a couple of solutions here on the back side of page one. One is to say, well, yes, you're right. You can serve two, uh, two employers uh, or two bosses, but there comes a point when you'll have to choose between one or the other. You know, you're a medical doctor about to uh, commit to um, a mortgage on a home, and you love your work, you're starting your family, and um, you feel a call to go and uh, join the Hendersons in Angola to help out at the hospital. You can't be in Angola and be here paying the mortgage on a house at the same time. So there's a way in which at some point you'll have to decide. Another example that's often given is whether you choose uh, a new job based on a higher salary or whether you choose a new job based on the opportunities that it presents you to serve God's kingdom more. Now with more money, you can give more. So that's another, that's an option. But chances are we're tempted to do it solely on a monetary basis and not necessarily on a spiritual basis. So one solution would be, yes, you can serve um, these two, two masters, but at some point, you're gonna have to choose between one and the other. Uh, is to elevate the language a little bit, and this doesn't mean, and this means that you're not talking about somebody working for two employers, but you're talking about a slave serving two masters. And uh, very rare is the situation where a slave has two masters because uh, the master, uh, whether he's benevolent or whether he's cruel, is probably wanting uh, your attention all the time and is wanting you to work solely for him or her. So perhaps the best way to put it would be that no slave can serve two masters. Uh, you have to choose either one or the other. As one commentator put it, it is possible to work for two employers. It's not easy to serve two masters as a slave. Okay, well, that's, that's fair enough. Um, you think, well, maybe you still could. But these particular masters in the context are at the opposite end of the spectrum, aren't they? You've got God on the one hand, you've got money on the other hand. So say you're a soldier and you're totally into being a soldier. Uh, you can't fight uh, for Valensky and Putin at the same time. They are on opposite ends of the pole. You might be able to be a mercenary for somebody and for somebody else, but uh, the, the, the choices are stark. And Jesus is saying here, either we are a servant of money or we are a servant of God. And the contrast is about as stark as being in the army of Valensky or being in the army of Putin. Well, what then does Jesus mean when he says you must hate one and love the other? or be loyal to one and despise the other. Um, you know, there are probably people in the uh, Russian army who are pretty ambivalent at this point. And it doesn't mean that they love uh, Putin necessarily and hate Valensky, they just happen to be in one particular army. Well, I think it's helpful to recognize that Jesus is a Jew and a first century Jew, and he is using language that is typical of Jewish idioms, which involves kind of pointing things in opposite directions. In other words, um, you're, you're pushing things to the extreme, as it were. And so it's possible here that what Jesus is using is a figure of speech, which simply says, um, you're gonna strongly prefer one, 
and you're going to not so strongly uh, prefer uh, the other. Um, a good example of that uh, comes uh, when Jesus says, in order to be a disciple, you must hate your mother, and you must hate your father and your other family in order to come and follow me. Well, you say, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to honor our father and mother. Well, of course, you don't have to hate your mother and your father in order to be a disciple. But when push comes to shove, you clearly have a choice. And some of you here this afternoon have uh, chosen uh, God over family. Um, um, I um, sometimes work in a Muslim country, and there's a whole church full of people in the town that I visit where they have a new family because their former family has disowned them. And their mothers and fathers have said to us, you're as good as dead because you're a follower of Jesus. So there are times when one has to make that strong a kind of a choice. Okay. Well, that I think is, um, is um, the explanation that I wanted to offer for the passage. Would you allow me now simply to offer a few reflections um, on it as I look at uh, the other uh, notes that I have? I think it's important to recognize uh, that the heavenly treasures um, aren't necessarily all kind of pie in the sky. This is one of the things that's a challenge for the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? I mean, Jesus says, you know, the people who are trying to impress others have the reward right now. They're admired. But I want you to be impressing God so that your reward in the future will be good. Well, that's a long ways off, and it's pretty hard to keep that kind of focus, isn't it? Um, the treasures that we have in heaven um, are accessible now, in a way, because uh, Jesus uh, kind of came from the future into the present. And there are lots of places where Scripture reminds us that the eternal treasures that we will have, we enjoy now. So the fellowship that we have with one another in heaven is reflected in the fellowship that we have with one another now. It's not perfect, but there's a piece of it. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we will have more fully in eternity. We have access to a Father in heaven who cares for us, that is um, ultimately going to be spectacular in heaven, but which for now is, uh, is still accessible. So it's not as though we have to put all of our interests only in the future and uh, kind of think, I'm just going for broke, it's all in the future, and deny ourselves things like fellowship, even things like possessions now. Uh, Jesus benefited from people who had possessions. And the question, my friend, is not whether you have possessions. It's, uh, I think, partly how many do you have. But the real question is, uh, how strongly do you feel you need to hang on to them? If they were to go away, would you be sad? If Jesus were to turn to you like he turned to the rich man who said that he was a faithful follower, and Jesus were say to you to say to you, okay. You're a good Christian. I realize you're here every Sunday. You're doing a great job. You pray. You went through those Ten Commandments and you were good with all of that. Why don't you go and sell everything you have and give them to the poor and then come and follow me? Well, I think in principle I'd be willing to give away everything that I have, but maybe I can just sort of hold off on that for a little while, right? I mean, we want to we wanna fudge here. One of the commentators that I read was very honest, and he said, you know, if we're honest, we want to have it both ways. But Jesus will not let us have it both ways when it comes to where our, ultimately, our ultimate loyalty lies. 
we have to choose between one and the other. We can't choose both. So what are the kind of treasures in heaven that we should store up? One of them uh, is very earthly, and it has to do with investing in those things that God cares about. Well, what are the things that God cares about? People, the crisis in the Ukraine, humanitarian concern, evangelism, discipleship, growth in Christ, uh, creating a world in which there's less disparity between poverty and wealth. We're God's ambassadors. It also, I think, and this isn't Jesus' point here, but I don't think he would object to it, it includes ecology. God has made this world, and we are to be good stewards of the creation that he's given us, because heaven isn't somewhere far away. It is for now, but heaven is coming to earth in the future, and so this planet is not disposable. It is going to be revitalized in the future, and the less, God has work, and the less work God has to do in recycling it, I'm sure the happier that he will be. Let me look quickly at my notes, and um, uh, if there's nothing absolutely screaming at me, I will close. Thank you for not screaming. Good time to have one of your children scream. Some of you like G.K. Chesterton. In the book, The Innocence of Father Brown, he said this. To be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. And he also said there are two ways to get enough money. One is to acquire more. The other is to desire less. I don't know how this applies to you, but I'll tell you how it applies to me, and maybe that will trigger your own mind about how it applies to you. A year ago, I retired. And you get a pension, but hopefully by the time you retire, you have some savings as well. And I have two types of friends, Christian friends. Some who say, Glenn, manage your own money. There's an old saying that's an Arab saying that I think is true. A fool can manage his own money better than a genius, somebody else's. See, in other words, it's your money, so you care. So you're going to manage your money very well. But one person who tells me that they manage their money in their retirement says, but be careful, it takes a lot of time. You've got to stay on top of it. And so there's the prospect of spending hours a week managing uh, your nest egg. And the other option is to, um, you know, you don't want to be irresponsible, would be to... Uh, Give it to somebody else to manage and let them worry about it so that you can direct your attention elsewhere. And I can kind of, in between these two options in the past year, uh, some have influenced me one way, some have influenced me in the other way, but I'm telling you this week, that option of farming it out is looking pretty good because there's something about material possessions that's got stickers on it. It's like tentacles. They want to stick themselves to you. There's a real danger in possessions. And in our culture, I think it would be foolish to underestimate the extent to which that's possible in our lives. How open are you to uh, parting with your money? How happy and content are you with storing up treasures in heaven? That's where the real value lies. I want to conclude with kind of a silly illustration. We all get stuff from Amazon these days, 
and they come in boxes, and often the box will have an arrow as to which way the top is, right? Um, and so hopefully the person who's delivered the box has delivered it with the arrow up. And then there's the picture of that little glass with the, with the, uh, with the, with the zigzag through it, which means it's breakable. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is that all of us are collecting a package. And if the package has the arrow down, if your treasure is oriented downwards, that little breakable sign will be there. It's fragile. No sooner are you going to pick it up and walk somewhere with it than you're going to trip and the whole thing is going to get busted. But if the package comes and the arrow is pointing upwards, instead of a sign with a little zigzag through the beaker that says fragile, there should be a stamp that says indestructible. My friends, our treasures are to be stored up in heaven and not on earth. And I say this in all honesty as I look at my own life. God help us in the culture that we live in to get that priority right because there's real spiritual danger here. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.